Welcome to episode 69 of the Clarity Compressed podcast. My name is Paul J. Daly, and today we are going to get inside the mind of a publicly traded company's CEO. Yeah, we are. Clarity can only really exist in the light of truth. Branding just isn't a tactic. It's a lifestyle change. I'm really excited for this episode. Um, the publicly traded CEO, his name is Ernie Garcia, the CEO of Carvana. No, this isn't a repeat of an episode we had a number of weeks ago where we had him on the show. Actually, that was a release of some really automotive-focused content that came from the interview. But this half of the content that we're releasing, I consider it to be, I think it's the better half. And because it's the human side, I'm always intrigued by people who have done things innovative or have just done notable things. I'm always intrigued in how they process, how they think, what their vision is, why they did what they did. Um, I love to hear about the moment when you knew you were onto something. Um, and so Ernie talks about the moment when he knew, like, holy crap, this is something that resonates with people. Uh, we talk about an interesting concept, and this really applies. I, I like it because this applies, this conversation applies to the non-automotive side, the business side, the human connection side. And I was like, well, you know, when you set out to build something, like, what do you think you really are doing? And he said, this really comes in two phases. The first phase is how do you build something that makes it fundamentally better for your customer? So not just it's more efficient or more profitable or any of that, um, but what's the best for the customer? And he goes through the process they did of asking why over and over and over continuously to get to that answer. And the second phase is then finding a way to communicate that to the customer, why it's better to them, et cetera, et cetera. That is close, near and dear to my heart because that's what brand messaging is, is really letting the customer know, I know why you hate this. I know why you connect with it. I know why you push it away. And now I can also explain to you why this is a better way. So Carvana has been in the news and stuff, all kinds of stuff about their financials, you know, how they track their profits and all that. This episode isn't about that. This episode is about bringing you some uh, human connection for the person that is behind this movement. And, uh, it, you know, it's the side that the Wall Street Journal and MSNBC and the other news outlets, you know, usually when they get a publicly traded CEO on, like they do a lot to try to trip them up, right? I'm going to try to catch you in a technicality. I'm going to try to get you in trouble. You guys know me. That's not what I'm trying to do in any area of my life, but especially not in this episode. Um, I wanted to learn about the person. So I hope that you can have a little bit of a broader horizon just because you're hearing from a person that has some really amazing experience and uh, is doing something that really is making a lot of waves. And frankly, that's how I learn and that's how I grow. I think that's why we learn and grow together. So I hope you enjoy this, I consider, better half of the interview I had with the CEO of Carvana, Ernie Garcia. So um, I wanted to start off by talking about why you started Carvana. And I know there's some elements, a lot of elements that are out there on this already. But I think like, you know, kind of the abridged version, because a lot of people, I think, would see you from the outside and think that you're just, um, you know, a young techie disruptor that really wanted to get into an industry. But the, the truth is, is that you have experience in the auto industry before Carvana. So like, why did you decide to car to start Carvana? And what was that experience that you had prior to Carvana? Yeah, so we, 
Yeah, so happy. I mean, you asked me the abridged version, which I'm not sure I do abridged version. So I'll, that's I'll do that, my that's best. okay. Then give give us the full version. We we can make it work. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, so before Carvana, I, I was working at a company called Drive Time. Um, you know, prior to that, I worked uh, basically inside of a principal transactions group, which is kind of like a hedge fund inside of a bank um, in New York for a couple of years. I was at Drive Time basically from 2007 through uh, 2012 when I kind of moved over to Carvana full time. And so, and I also kind of grew up in and around uh, drive time and kind of prior businesses that there were predecessors to drive time. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, from when I was 16 years old, I was um, either working in automotive retail companies or automotive finance companies as like a summer intern. And so I, I had a lot of exposure over time to the business. I think uh, there's probably many ways to talk about where Carvana came from. Uh, what I'll do to kind of put it in the context of my personal experience, I'll just say that I do think... You know, drive time focuses on, uh, you know, customers with less than perfect credit. Um, and, and kind of that's always been its sweet spot um, since inception. And yep. I think that the unfortunate reality is that um, most of drive time's competition is probably kind of the, the toughest um, dealership experience that people think of when they think of a dealership, right? It, it really is like a dirt lot and, you know, you know, a gold chain and a big watch and, <laughs> you know, fast talking and a deal that's not, you know, totally forthright and a car that may not be in the best shape. And so I, I think, think I saw that of, guy in one of your commercials. Yeah, I think you got probably, that guy for one of your. <laughs> yeah, we, we found it. Yeah, there's, you we, found, we found that, that guy, guy, right. So, uh, so I think it's just kind of like being inside of drive time and then seeing, you know, drive time's competition. It's kind of like a magnified version of the thing that I think has historically made people a little bit uncomfortable when they're buying a car. And so then I just think it was, you know, this process of asking all these questions, like, why are people uncomfortable? And then it's like you start to dig into, you know, like, okay, well, th there's not price transparency. Well, why isn't there price transparency? And then, you know, um, why does it take four hours to buy a car? And then you start to, you know, understand the economics of the transaction and how it you know, requires that you make more money in the back end than in the front end. And, and that those, you know, products are complicated. People don't totally understand. It's like, okay, well, why is that? If you keep asking why, if you just, like, follow up with why, 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 why over and over again, like the, the answers that I felt like I was getting a lot of were basically just like, that's just kind of the way it is. And, and that's just the way the business is designed. Right, and basically but it's the car business. The same way. Right. Exactly. Right. It's the car business. And, and what it, do you want? It, yeah. I never got to a place where it was like, here's the fundamental reason why this is. And it makes sense. And it's like, it's just this like truth that is going to persist into the future. And so yeah. then I think we started to think about, okay, well, how do we make customer experiences better? And we felt like the, the kind of fundamental we needed to do was create an experience that was different for customers. And then we needed to lower our costs so that we weren't forced to play, you know, some of the games that result in the most discomfort that customers sometimes feel. And, and we could just kind of be forthright and, and have a simple experience. And then I think, you know, once you're looking for kind of a different experience and lower cost, technology is a very natural answer. And so we moved to technology um, and started saying, okay, how do we automate this process and make it self-service for the customer? And so, so that's kind of one way to tell the story and, and kind of how we thought about things. That, that was a pretty abridged version. I think you did good. Oh, good. Perfect. Good. I mean, it's been, so a, lot of, it's been, a, lot of, it's been a lot of years. Yeah, no, I think that was great. Um, what is, what's the first moment you can remember where you were like, this is going to work? Well, there's a lot of moments before that where it's like, I'm not sure this is going to work. But the first Of course, that's I, the I, entrepreneur's I, journey, right? If you didn't have yeah. those moments, right? So yeah, yeah, what was the moment? So there was a lot of moments, I'm sure, where you're like, I don't know, maybe I'm just nuts. But the first moment when you kind of said, you know what? I think this is actually going to work. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to say I'm gonna say 
two moments. Um, one is less of a moment, and, and the, the second one I think maybe captures more. So the first is you know, we were selling you know five or ten cars a month at first. I mean we were selling like a car a week, and and the math just wasn't even close to penciling. But what we were at least getting is we get these customer reviews. We every time we sell a car, we ask the customer to write a review so we can you know learn from the experience and figure out what we need to change and make better. And we were getting these reviews that were like you know, four paragraphs long, just effusive reviews, and they, you know, would oftentimes end with, I'll never go to a dealership again. And so yeah. we knew that we were struggling <laughs> to communicate kind of the quality of our offering, but we also mm-hmm. knew that once people experienced it, they loved it. And so then to me, that's where we kind of moved to phase two of a business. I think phase one of every business is, how do you build something that's fundamentally better for your customers? And phase two is, how do you communicate that and get customers to adopt it in mass? Mm-hmm. And I think when we saw those reviews, we knew that we had kind of accomplished phase one, and now we've, we're moving on to phase two. And to me, phase two is really more a matter of, of time as opposed to a matter of if. And so I mm-hmm. felt like that was like a moment where I, I felt like it should work. Now, there were many other moments beyond that, because that happened relatively early on, where investors didn't feel the same way, and we had lots of tough times. But, but that would have been like the first really positive signal where I felt like there was something real there. The next yeah. is... You know, we, we didn't come out of Silicon Valley, um, and I think there's a lot of like you know benefits that come with that. But, but one weakness of not coming out of Silicon Valley is Silicon Valley kind of has a really nice like ready-built hype machine where you know you raise yeah. money from the right venture capital firm, and you know they've got good relationships with all these different press outlets, and all the yep. different reporters feel like they're not really taking a risk to write a positive story about you because they've right. got like the social proof of really smart VCs that put money into you. So it, you're able to get a lot of press relatively quickly, and it's it's very helpful to acquiring customers, and we just didn't get that. I mean, we, we couldn't get press to save our lives for the first, <laughs> you know, 18 months at least uh, of our Really? Lives. And then, oh, we couldn't get any. It was, yeah, we, we couldn't get anyone what, to What was your first to. market? What was your first market? It was Atlanta. Selling? Okay. Wow, yeah. that's really surprising. Really, okay. Yeah, and there's a, there's a bunch of reasons for that, but Atlanta was our first market. We were operating the business out of Phoenix, which sounds crazy, largely because it is crazy, but, but there's good reasons to underlie it. <laughs> Um, it's because of daylight but, but savings we, time. We any, yeah, exactly. So we, we couldn't get any press. And then we, we finally got covered on, uh, on ABC World News on kind of like a national broadcast. And there was a good like, mm-hmm. you know, two-minute segment that went through, you know, Carvana. It's a smart way to buy a car and a smart way to save money. And so yeah. we knew that was coming for probably three or four days before it happened. And, you know, we were like spinning up servers because at the time, like, you know, our website would, would just crack under the weight of like 20 simultaneous users. Uh, and we had, we had no ability to handle the kind of volumes that we thought might come. So you know, we were spinning up servers and trying to figure out, like, what are all the weak spots in the, in the website? And what are the places mm-hmm. that break if we get more volume? And, and we tried to kind of stand it up as best we could. And then we had, like, a fallback to our error page that we, you know, tried to write, like, hey, you know, we're, we're getting coverage on the news right now. We'll apologize. We'll be back up shortly. And we were just like, yep. hey, now what's going to happen? And we all kind of stood around a TV at the time. There were probably 25 or 30 people in the company. And we stood around a TV and we watched the, the broadcast go and we saw kind of our logo show up for the first time. And then we looked over at Google Analytics and we were just watching the traffic start to climb. And it just, you know, it was climbing like, you know, 300 years at a time, and then it was 600, and then it was 1,000, and then it was 2,000, and then it was 5,000. And it was just blowing up. And I think finally we got to about 13,000 before the website just completely crashed. And I don't even know how many people basically saw our error page, but we were able to support 13,000. And standing around with those kind of 25 people, watching this broadcast and then watching like the traffic show up and having like, like just hearing all the oohs and ahs and the excitement around like, okay, the website hasn't crashed yet and we're getting this coverage and this is so cool. That was yeah. like a moment where it just kind of forced you to stop and be like, this is cool. Like this is, this is a moment. It's really happening. 
Right. Yeah, and this is this is like happening. So that was a really cool moment that I think was like it, it truly was a moment because it happened in like a matter of minutes, you know. And it was just like it was this this moment that forced you to reflect, and it was cool. It's an overnight success moment, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, something yeah. like that. <laughs> so I watched you in person walk into a room full of dealers at the Automotive News Retail Forum this year and last year as well. And I thought it was a it was a really um, great move for you. And it showed that you really are trying to be willing to connect with the, the automotive community. And why do you think you get so much? Um, why do you feel like I'm sure you feel I'm trying not to use strong language, but I'm sure in elements you feel hated by auto dealers and some elements. Uh, uh, in some elements, you probably are misunderstood. So I think it'd be great to give you a chance to explain your perception of other dealers, like personally and as a company and your position to the industry as a whole. Did you track with me through that whole thing? It was really long. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, there's a okay. lot there. That's a, there's a lot to try to cover. Um, so I think, um, let, let me say, I, I hope we're not hated. Um, I, I think the reality is to some degree, maybe we are um, by, by some people, right? And I think that... Um, well, I if I could stop you right there, let's park on that for a second, because because yeah. I've met you and like you're not the kind of guy that seems like you would really enjoy being hated. <laughs> um, some people like that. You're not that type of person. Why do you think that dealers might have like maybe some anger toward the Carvana message? Why might that be possible? You know, so, I mean, what I would like to think is that I think that. Um, I, I think you said something really uh, insightful, right? We don't get to pick what other people think. And I think the unfortunate truth is that uh, there is a reputation that buying a car is not great. Um, I don't think it's because dealers are bad. I do think it's because of the ruthless economics of, of automotive retail and that, that, you know, many dealers have very, very similar underlying economics to one another and they have to compete very hard. It's, it's hard to economically survive and that leads to, yeah. you know, uh, incentives that, that force some behavior that maybe customers don't love. So I don't think there's anything wrong with any of that. I just think it kind of is what it is. But once that reputation exists, now we have to kind of do what, what we have to do, and we have to, we have to communicate to customers in light of that reality. And I think that sometimes that brings this uncomfortable thing to the surface. And I think for some people then, you know, maybe they're going to – that discomfort they're going to hold against us. And, uh, you know, we, I, guess I personally apologize that, that, you know, we'll bring that discomfort up, but I think – it's already there, and now you know mm-hmm. we have to kind of acknowledge it, right? Like in order to move through it and move forward and, and build the company we want to build, we have to acknowledge it. And yeah. we don't mean any ill will at all towards dealers, but it's but we got to communicate to consumers, and you know they have a view, and and we feel like we understand that view, and so we're going to speak to them. And then once we're speaking to them, I think maybe that that makes things a little bit uncomfortable. But yeah, yeah. I, I think it kind of is what it is. Yeah, I, th- I think don't kill the messenger. I mean, I personally think that you've done the industry a huge favor by being willing to put it out there because it exhibits like we talk about it in marketing today, right? The person with the most empathy and the one that produces to that empathy is going to get the attention. And I think that you've executed on that super well. And and I am starting to see in the industry the tide turn toward dealers who are willing to acknowledge the pain and the stereotypes, which are actually that way because they're true and all the resentment that's been built up. So um, that that's my my position on what you've been doing. So, And I think it's good for people to hear your personal position on it and kind of clear that up. I mean, it's you're still a business, right? So feature advantage benefit, like the feature of Carvana is like, we understand what you want and we're going to give it to you. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that, that's all we're trying to do. So, and, and I think that that can probably be perceived uh, negatively by some, but I, I hope at the end of the day they can respect that, you know, we're, we're doing what, what makes sense for us and we're, we're simply communicating on the terms that the consumers already feel. No, I, th- I think that that really does jive. I mean, to just encourage that for a second, like there are other people that are working to cure cancer and working to feed starving babies. And the emotional energy that they have to put toward those things is absolutely sapped by the old car buying process. So if you can somehow free up that emotional energy to focus on those things, I think that you do contribute to those things. And I think every business does. And it's almost like our obligation to allow people to do what they are doing. And so I think I think that that tracks 100% with making an impact. Um, I had a guest on the, on the show last week. He's uh was the first Lexus Plus dealer, which is their, you know, kind of progressive one price model. His name's Peter Cooper, and he had an interesting point um, when he was talking about uh, leaving a legacy and he said, he goes, "Okay, I'll give you every dollar in my right and left pocket if you can tell me the names of your eight great-grandparents." Right. And, and it's like, nobody can, he's like, but you don't, but they're your family. Like, don't you think they should have made an impact and a legacy on your life? And it was just a really, really kind of a moment of clarity to saying like, oh, well, that's really all I have, you know, cause in a couple of generations, no one's going to remember my name, but the impact that we make is the legacy. So interesting that that was your answer because last week's guest had an answer that actually put that in a little more context. I mean, let me start with this. I think to have a legacy at all is is a pretty incredible accomplishment. But if what a legacy is is it's you know a persistent shared memory that's that's consistent across many people about you know what you mm-hmm. were and what you did and what you kind of stood for. I think yep. to achieve a legacy at all is probably something that very few people are, are able to achieve. And I think um, I, I don't even know how to answer that that question precisely because I, I yeah. Think, Uh, In my opinion, I'm so far away from having accomplished anything near justifying a legacy uh, at at this point. And I I, I would probably screw it up somewhere from here. Okay. (laughs) That's fair. Just just really quick, tell us, uh, what's the thing that you're most excited about right now? Last thing. Oh, man, the thing that I'm most excited about... uh, well, I've got three kids, so I've got my uh, my, my son's first t-ball game uh, is coming up uh, in, in a couple of That's days. That's an amazing moment. About that. But I'm pretty excited about that because he's so excited about it. Uh, from a business perspective, it's gonna I, just I honestly, just uh, it's gonna be very very long, and you probably know this already. It's gonna be no, like a four-hour yeah, no, game. I, I, yeah, I, uh, I I know how it works. <laughs> He's four years old. And it's like there's you know 108 kids on the team, and they all gotta hit the ball. And I think they just go through three innings. So, so it's it's gonna be long, but he's gonna enjoy it. And I think uh, I, I think one of the great sources of happiness is vicarious happiness through your kids. So I think uh, I'm excited about that. It'll be, it'll be fun. Uh, and then from a business perspective. Now you're asking me to pick between you know uh, other kids on the business side. There's so many things we're working on that I'm so excited about. Um, it, it would be hard for me to pick, but I think we've got a lot of really okay. cool stuff in the Fair enough. Ernie, thank you so much. I know you have a lot to do in your non-daylight savings state, and uh, you're working really hard. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Um, it was just a pleasure having a conversation with you today, and best of luck. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks. So what do you think? That's the man, right? We have the business, and then we have the man. I hope this week you were able to derive from some of that maybe a little bit of a broader horizon, a little more clarity maybe, um, a little more possibility and understanding for maybe what your next steps are. 
Because let's be honest, that's why we all consume content. That's why I make content. That's why I consume content. I'm not the kind of person that, I don't know about you, I'm not the kind of person that can just intrinsically come up with all these amazing, fresh ideas and perspectives internally. I really need to feed feed the beast. I need to put things in. And then, you know, my brain and my emotions, they kind of move things around. And that's where the clarity comes for me. So I like to think that like this interaction we have here through the content, the interaction we have on social media, by the way, if you have questions about this podcast or just in general, put out content on a lot of sh- social platforms. They're linked up below. Please hit me up, DM me. But that's how I grow is through interaction. I think that's how a lot of people that interact with this content grow. And uh, all that to be said, thank you so much for spending a few minutes of your time, very valuable time. I know there are other options. There are funny gifts to watch. Um, there's, <laughs> there's other stuff to do. So thank you for spending some time here. I hope that whatever you're doing, in life, whatever you're doing in business, whatever you're doing, that you will pursue clarity with me because clarity is really where the progress is made. So have a great day, have a great week, and I'll see you soon.